One theme of the book that I learned from the babies is that we are all in development, meaning there's not a finish line. All the striving in the world doesn't usually make us happy. And we don't need to shame ourselves for wherever we are in our development. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to take a slightly different approach to looking at the methodology and lessons that we can apply from other areas of life, lessons that we can apply to our writing process. So today, I'm very happy to introduce to you Sue Ludwig. Now, Sue is a sought-after speaker, consultant, and writer, and she's a licensed occupational therapist and certified neonatal therapist. And she is also president and founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, where she uses a blend of clinical expertise, innovation, and leadership to support the advancement of the specialized field on a global level. Now, Sue's book, Tiny Humans, Big Lessons, How the NICU Taught Me to Live with Energy, Intention, and Purpose. Her book was published in 2022 by Page Two Publishing. And so today, what we're going to hear about from Sue, we're going to look at some of these big lessons that she learned in the neonatal intensive care unit when she's worked there as an occupational therapist. And we're going to talk about, she's going to share with us some of these lessons in particular that she also was able to apply to her book writing process. And I believe that there will be some wonderful nuggets in here for you, dear listener. So enjoy. Sue, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have you here. And, you know, I can't help myself. I have to share this because one of my clients is Dr. Louis J. Ignaro, who you might have heard of because he won the Nobel Prize in Medicine or Physiology in 1998 as being one of three people who were honored for unlocking the mysteries of nitric oxide. Mm. And <laughs> you probably know where I'm going with this. And for our listeners, one really amazing thing, about, and I helped Lou with his memoir, Dr. No. Get it? Anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. So, one of the amazing things about nitric oxide has, since his discovery, been used on infants who are born a type of pulmonary hypertension that is, uh, by a layperson's term, blue babies. And that when nitri- and often they had died before this became available shortly after childbirth. And now, after receiving inhaled nitric oxide, they tend to survive. So I've got to ask 
have you had direct experience with that in your uh, career? Yes, I am an occupational therapist, a neonatal occupational therapist. So I'm never the deliver, order, anything of such things. But yes, I have in my career worked with several babies who have needed nitric oxide and it is an amazing therapy for that situation. So that's very cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. The connection. (laughs) That's great. I know. Right. And so with your book and it's little humans, big lessons, did I get that right? It's tiny humans, tiny humans, big lessons. See. (laughs) I should always have my notes in front of me. (laughs) Sometimes I'm too much of a winger. (laughs) I get it. I'm a winger too. (laughs) So, all right. So in this book, you write about your experiences as an occupational therapist in the NICU. But what I find really interesting on top of that is that you connect these lessons to other aspects where we could gain from the things that you learned in the NICU in your experience. So before we get to the what of what you learned, which I'm, of course, very anxious to do, I'm curious to know, where did you get this concept for a book? Because it's very unique. So I, I've always been a writer, meaning I've always written, but I have wanted to write a book for a long time. and But like a lot of people, I couldn't find the exact kind of path to what I wanted to say. And it was developing over time. I was doing speaking in the healthcare space and doing talks and things and writing a lot for my organization. However, I think through that process, I found myself like probably a lot of you listening, repeating some of the same themes over and over and whether I was speaking or whether I was writing or whether I was trying to just live these things. I was kind of like finding a theme but it was not a straight line. So I remember a few key moments of one sitting on a hill in on a mountain in Asheville, North Carolina with my friend, Colleen, who had already published a book and saying, just saying all the words out of my face to her, you know, like, here's what I'm thinking, but then how do I do this? And how do I connect this? And, and I said, I really enjoy this intersection of healthcare and life. I think there's always this healthcare is such a microcosm of life and inside those hospitals and then inside the NICU, all these little worlds that most people never see just translate really well to what can we take out of there that would be helpful for everyone. And Mm. so I had some of that loosely together and Colleen actually helped me talk through all of that. But how to do it exactly and how to organize all of that, I needed a lot of help with. I had a lot of things written, but not Mm -hmm. a lot of things organized. And I ended up kind of seeking out help to get that content organized. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I often find with subject matter experts who want to write a book is all the information is there and it's often written somewhere to get it into the form of a book is a whole nother task. What would you say was the most challenging aspect of that for you? And how did you deal with it? (laughs) I think the most challenging aspect of organizing it was, I've never written anything that long in my life. So, (laughs) so kind of, uh, you know, organizing it from beginning to end, like what was the flow of the whole book? And then also, I think when you're into some 
subject matter, you're the expert and whatever, it's hard to get out of your own way. Mm. And so one of the hardest things for me was that I have all this NICU knowledge and all the immersion in that world. And I think one of the hardest things was to say enough about that, to be relevant to the reader, but not so much that it was extraneous to the point. Right. And that right. was the, one of the hardest things for me is like, I wanted to tell people everything because this is fascinating and this is fascinating and <laughs> wait till you hear this about how our brains work and this, but my book coach would be like, that is so fascinating. It just doesn't matter right? <laughs> for, the, for, this, for this point, you know? And so I think that was one of the most challenging things is, is how do I get out of my own head and see this from the reader's perspective? Yeah. That's very good coaching, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And it can be so tempting. Like one of the things, you know, because you you have this feeling, especially when it's your first book, I don't know about you, but generally I see people have this feeling. I even had this when I wrote my book is like, you want to give, it's like, you want to give them everything because this is the book, you know? Yes. Yes. So sometimes I've heard myself say to my clients, you're allowed to write more than one. But <laughs> that doesn't belong in this book. <laughs> yes. I, I had a I had a little like side note for that kind of stuff because there was some good stuff in there, but it mm -hmm. just it she was so right. It just like that that isn't the point you're trying to support. And yeah. so going back and forth over time and and then I got better at asking myself the question before right. writing it all out. So which saved you some time, probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I have a nickname for that what you're talking about. I call it the slush file. Mm. And that's where I would say, get a file or a folder and put all those things in one place. And that way, if you ever want to use them in the future, you know where to find them. <laughs> or if maybe we do actually end up needing it in the book later, it's right there. And I think it makes it easier to let it go, right? If you know that you can get it if you need it. <laughs> Absolutely. We can't hold all that in our brain. It's like, yeah. here's my little brain file over here. Yeah. And, and even if I just wanted to, maybe if you're ever asked about a particular part of your book that mm -hmm. someone does want deeper knowledge on, you also have like that little file to go to like, oh yeah, I wanted to talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. That is also true, right? Especially when you're speaking or being interviewed. All right. So now that we have a little bit more background, what would you say, what lesson pops out at you? And I'll probably ask you this a couple of times, but out of all the lessons in your book, which one pops out at you first as something that you feel especially applies to your book journey? Or maybe you have a specific story of how it really directly applied to your book journey. I would say the thing that pops out the most and applies to the actual book it's probably one of the main themes in the book, which is about intention. And I learned in the NICU, I practiced, learned, integrated into the NICU, how to be more intentional when I would walk up to the bedside of a baby. And before I put my hands on them, I was trying to become more present and intentional with my touch, with the interaction, because they have a very low capacity for dealing with our energy and this care itself is stressful, et cetera. So I was trying to prepare myself well. And so in the book, I talk a lot about intention and, and really dial down to a practical level of sort of 
came up to the bedside. I took a deep breath. I said the baby's name out loud. I, but one of the pieces of that process, which outside the NICU, I called just the three second rule of intention, which is just taking the breath. I call checking your baggage and then Mm -hmm. setting an intention (laughs) in the NICU. What that checking the baggage meant is I would take the deep breath, but then I realized I had to decide what belonged in the moment with that baby energetically and everything. And what didn't because the stressful environment and we are individual humans giving the care who have our own lives and own stresses. Mm -hmm. And you can inadvertently bring that into the space with this fragile baby and it doesn't belong there. Yeah, And so I kind of, in my mind, pictured that as baggage is luggage. And I would literally say, okay, I got to check my baggage outside of the space just for these yeah. next, whatever, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I can pick it up if I need to later, but it yeah. doesn't belong in this moment. And then I would set my intention before I touch the baby. So when I was warned that whatever I wrote about in my book, I would have to actually live to the like nth degree while I was writing it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that came true about a hundred times over, but with this little piece of the intention, you know, there were so much going on in my life as I was writing the book as probably for everyone. And I used that same practice when I would sit down and write because my intention just kind of decide what I was going to do for myself in this writing time. And it was kind of a new space I was entering. So I would do the same thing, take a deep breath and then check any baggage that didn't really have to do with sitting and writing this particular part of the book. Because otherwise I was really distracted. I have a full-time job, which is pretty demanding. And so I had to put that aside and all the emails I knew were waiting. And my mom was sick for much of the time I was writing the book. And so there were things that I just had to say, this doesn't belong here. And then set my intention for what I did want out of the session, how I wanted to show up. Mm. And so that particular piece I used over and over in order to just be more present to the process, even if then what ended up happening is almost nothing <laughs> in the writing, <laughs> you know, how it goes sometimes. But I use that to be responsible for how I showed up for myself in writing, just as I did in the NICU. I love that. And I think that's excellent advice for our listeners, right? To not just zoom over to your laptop after picking the kids up from school or wherever you were last and sit down and start furiously typing, but to create some space between your writing time and your regular life and to set breath, set a clear intention and create that. I mean, I can really, as I was listening to you, I could really hear that you were creating an environment, like a container for the work, which is so powerful. Yes. And the environment word is is important in there too, in that in the NICU, part of my job as a neonatal therapist is to observe and assess and modify the environment, like the light, the sound, the hustle, everything. So that, because it all affects the baby's brain development. And so it just in that looking at my own environment, literal physical environment was going to affect my attention and what was going to pull me away from that attention and what fueled me being surrounded by what kinds of things inspired me. I have a bookshelf 
here in my office that I love and my favorite authors and just like being surrounded by things that made my brain happy helped me write. And just like helping the baby's brain development, like really consciously choosing the environment I was surrounding myself with was just another piece of that that I could bring into the writing. I love that. That's gorgeous. And it really does make it there. I wrote my book in my favorite chair, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So it was kind of like, oh, I get to go sit in my favorite chair for a few hours, you know? Yes. <laughs> it matters. It matters. Put my feet up. <laughs> so yeah, that is so powerful. I just love that. And I think that that's a really great takeaway for our listeners to be thinking about. And whether you have a book yet or not, even authors who already have books, this could be something to potentially add to your routine if it's not already there. Because I think that's really so wonderful. So wonderful. In fact, I'm going to ask you for another. Please, may I have another? May we have <laughs> sure. another? Okay. <laughs> sure. What? This one's sort of more maybe emotional or something, but one theme of the book too is that I, of course, learned from the babies was just that we are all in development. Mm. And meaning there's not a finish line. There's all the striving in the world doesn't usually make us happy that we don't need to shame ourselves for wherever we are in our development. And we wouldn't shame a baby for not looking like the baby next to him, same mm -hmm. age. It would be ludicrous to think that way, but we do it to ourselves like every single day almost is like, I'm not the, how this person is, or I could be further along, or why did I waste three years of my life doing whatever. So we're really caught up in that a lot. And I could get in my head too about, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. This is, feels hard, you know, all the things that yeah. are, and, and really get in my head about where I should be or how I should be writing the book or how far along I should be, the kind of help I should or shouldn't need to make it better, oh, yeah. all the things. And it's all about that kind of like, there is no arrival uh -huh. And that we're just developing. And I had, there's even a story in the book about me trying to accept myself as a writer. This was about scientific writing, not this kind of writing, but and being sort of interaction with somebody who did kind of make me feel really bad about where I was at the time. But realizing that I was just in a stage of development of that type of writing and I needed to get better at it and it needed to be okay to just be where I was. Yeah. And get help and move forward. And, and it's the only way we develop is to just accept where we are and get some of the help that we need and then move forward. I want to add to that too, because I think this also comes into play when the book is done. <laughs> because we are ever growing, ever evolving people, especially I think people who decide to write books, I think probably are more growth oriented than your average person, right? And so you're going to keep learning and the process of writing the book makes you learn and the feedback you get from the book makes you learn. And so just being able to be okay with the best I can do right now. That perfection thing holds us back and we oh. nitpick things to death instead of, and I think the book I call one of those blockers is just perfection thing does hold us back a lot. And during, like you said, after, and then knowing when to end and 
is this the one millionth ration of this paragraph or is it just okay? <laughs> and so it, that's a great point. I think uh, it is hard to say, okay, this is good enough. And, and while we can strive for excellence, we can be excellent in our work and still we have to at some point say, and this is good. I feel good about it. I read a little bit in your book and one of the things I came across that I thought was interesting it's related to what you just shared about. So, but I just have a feeling there might be something also new in there as well, where you talked about sensitivity to environment and how newborn babies and particularly premature are really sensitive to the environment and how can show up very quickly uh, with an infant where they've just been overstimulated or over upset and we can see it right away and then have to deal with it right away. But with adults, we actually have the same kinds of sensitivities. We're just better at covering them up and pushing through and, and everything else. And I have a feeling there's a connection to that idea and your book writing process, because it, it sure I know it for a fact it is for people I've worked with and, and my own. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. So the in the book, I was talking about kind of the stress cues probably of the of preterm infants and they're observable and they're subtle though. A lot of the times they're really subtle. And that and part of our job was to watch for those and to try to help the baby self-regulate and help co-regulate them, et cetera. But then as adults, I think, at least in my own life, I was not picking up on my own stress cues. And they were, I think we tend to say, oh, that's just a bad habit I have. Or Give our listeners yeah. some examples of a stress cue just so that we're yeah. all on the same page. Yeah. For adults. Uh, yeah. yeah for so, so I'll just use myself as the example. So so in my life, some stress cues were that I wasn't sleeping much. I was at a period in my life where I was working a lot, a couple different, I had my clinical job and then I was consulting and traveling all over the country. I had two young kids, uh, a husband, various animals, et cetera. And I was overextended to the max and sleeping about five hours a night for about three years. And we were in debt. We had had a trauma a situation in our lives with one of our children. Like there were a lot of things, but my stress cues were things like insomnia, not sleeping a lot, over or under eating, compulsively exercising to just kind of get all the, it wasn't for my health really. It was just too much or for the wrong reasons. And I would sort of just have this desire to like disappear into something. And so these, I felt numb. So I think one of my stress cues was that I just wasn't feeling a lot of my life anymore. And I felt like I was just on the hamster wheel mm -hmm. and I felt like nothing looked vivid anymore. My life was on repeat, go to bed, set my alarm and the feeling that I'm just going to get up and do this all over again. Mm -hmm. So the stress cues to me looked like the sleep, the eating, the running, avoiding, the scrolling, instead of living. <laughs> I don't know, listeners, anybody ever do this while you're trying, where you think you're having a writing session? <laughs> I think that sounds oddly familiar to me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so all the same things I think can show up when we're writing is a, is such a hard task, such a hard task 
thing to make yourself commit and sit down and do, and especially for an extended period of time. And so I would see some of those same things pop up, like the avoidance or the scrolling or, oh, let me just answer a couple emails, all sort of in, and whether those are kind of stress cues in those moments, but they're things to notice. So I think starting to notice our own behaviors without judgment is key. And just saying, oh, isn't that interesting that every time I say I don't have time to write, but then every time I could, then something magically happens with the kids or (laughs) this or that. And it's really convenient, right? To keep avoiding. So I would just, I, by the time I wrote the book, I'd been in the habit now for some years of just trying to observe my own behaviors like this and saying, oh, sometimes we don't notice till afterwards and just saying, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. That I just use the first hour of my writing time to look at Zillow for yeah. random reasons. So just noticing those kind of stress cues and and then all we can really do when whether you have a baby in the NICU, whether it's your adult in your life as an adult, when we notice those things, those behaviors is to just kind of come back to something that's regulating for us. And so that might mean maybe instead of forcing myself to try to sit and think of the next story that goes with this point, maybe I need to be healthy is to take a walk Mm -hmm. because sometimes getting away from the computer opens up my creativity. And that's a self-regulating choice in that moment instead of a shaming choice, like I'm going to tie myself to this computer until I write something. (laughs) Damn it. Yes. (laughs) Eat your peas and write a chapter. You're not getting up. Until you've done both. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. And, uh, or is it going to your favorite chair? Because that's regulating for you. Is it? And just noticing those things. And again, not shaming ourselves for them, but just saying, how do I come back to something that, that feels like creativity to me or just productivity? I think there's also something else there too, because obviously if you've decided to write a book, especially a nonfiction book, you're probably doing it because you also want to grow in some other way professionally. And so maybe grow as a person or give yourself that experience. And something I've catch myself doing, you know, when you're talking about like, oh, I intended to do yoga, but I had to organize all the drawers in my desk first (laughs) or whatever it is. It's like, although that also is a big stress reliever for me because I'm a Virgo. So maybe that's a bad (laughs) example, but just noticing when you find ways, and I'm saying you, please understand I'm including myself with definitely. I have noticed myself also where I will take care of other things first that are taking care of other people or other things, thinking that I'm going to get to the thing that's going to take care of me or help me further what I want to do or something bigger that I'm creating. And sometimes I notice myself not getting to that point. And it's been a practice for me to force that awareness, to really develop that awareness and go, oh, look at that. You managed to spend this much time doing this and now you've run out of time to do the thing was really your intention. And we go back to intention. Mm-hmm. This is such a big deal when you're writing a book, though. That's why I'm hammering on this a little bit more, because this is how people say they're going to write a book and never finish it, is when you continually 
fall into that pattern. And I think the other half of that practice is not beating yourself up because the more you beat yourself up, the less likely you are to honor yourself the next time. And the more likely you are to repeat that pattern. Yeah, I totally agree. If you have one day where it just, it doesn't work out and you find yourself like, oops, I, this is how I spent my time. It's sort of, and then that time is up. I think we just have to say, just notice I just did that. Instead of being like, I clearly, I was never meant to write a book, <laughs> which is where we go. We go all the way to the end, you know? Right, right, right. And, uh, right. and giving ourselves without yes. it being every day that we do that, but, but kind mm-hmm. of just noticing and saying what's in my way and what's really keeping me from sitting there because sometimes it's just uh, the avoidance is because you can't think of the next thing or you don't know how to start the chapter. And mm-hmm. it's just that block kind of keeps you from wanting to sit down and do it. And I had to, a lot of times not sit and do it. I had to th- go mm-hmm. think somewhere else or oh. just get out a big sticky note on the wall and just think, what do I really trying to say here? And just do yeah. some a different way to get the thoughts out of my head than to stare at the keyboard and hope they came. Yeah, that's great advice. And what you said earlier about getting up to take a walk, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've been noodling on something that I just know that I have a client. I just know that their book needs something and I can't figure out what, you know, there's something wrong in the flow and I can't figure out how to fix it. And I'll take a walk on the beach or go walk the dog around the block and bam, there it is. Change of context is so important and moving your body, you know, getting out of your head, getting into your body. So powerful. In our, we know that even our brains, you know, your frontal lobe gets really tired from trying to hold a lot of priorities to try to organize everything. And it's, it's not really great at doing that without without a break and without writing some stuff down and getting it out of your head. So just any little trick you can use to not feel so scattered, so heavy in your brain, I think is good. Oh man. I'm just like, maybe I need a session with you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a preemie, but wow. It applies a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that really, you know, it is so much hold on to, right? I mean, one thing I do is just like, First thing in the morning before I do my team meeting, I just write down every single thing that's on my mind that that I'm thinking about that I have to think I might have to do today or soon, you know, and I just try to get it in writing, like you said, because it helps. Then you don't have to hold on to it. If you're carrying it around, it is exhausting. But, you know, these days we are so inundated with so much information, even doing that, it, it can feel so heavy, just trying to keep track of every commitment and everything. So that's really great. But what about alignment versus balance? How would that apply to your writing journey? That's exactly what I was going to say. So you read my mind out of the whole book. Look at you. Um, (laughs) Did I mention I'm psychic? (laughs) Anyway, continue. (laughs) Yes. So I, I, uh, and I'll quickly talk about balance, but then I'll focus some more on alignment. So I, I just sort of don't believe in the construct of that our lives should be balanced in the way that we're taught, meaning kind of like we should be spending equal time in our job or vocation or whatever, and then with our family and then asleep. I don't think life 
typically fits neatly into those categories. And we end up feeling guilty wherever we are. And then we end up chasing the the two hours late we spent at work with two hours more with our kids, or we're always stealing from someplace to try to feel like we're doing the right thing. And Mm. most of the time we run around trying to satisfy the balance instead of actually showing up fully for where we want to be. And so... I just think balance, as I said, is an energy sucking myth. You know, I think it just really mostly causes us guilt and I don't think it's realistic or reasonable. I don't think it's a good construct for how we spend our time. So concept that I learned from babies was to think about, and as a therapist, as an OT is to think about alignment. And in my therapy, medical life, that means like our body alignment. So our head over our shoulders and our spine and hips and everything being in alignment and that the spine is the center of that alignment. And for babies, we're always trying to position them in a way when they're premature, where their arms and legs are tucked into that fetal position Mm -hmm. around that middle, around the midline toward the middle of their body as everybody else would picture a full-term baby in, in a fetal position. Preterm babies can't get in that position on their own. They're not developmentally ready yet. And then gravity pins them down. So we go a long way toward always kind of tucking them back into that position in alignment. So there's a certain alignment we're bringing them back to all the time. Then they wiggle around and they move. And then, and then we bring them back into alignment again, because they're more, their development is facilitated by being in alignment that we grow and develop better Mm. when our joints and everything, adults and kids, we know from Mm. sitting a long time writing, Mm. (laughs) you can get out of alignment. I mean, same is true for us in a little bit different way. So when I was trying to think of a better construct than balance in my life, alignment was sort of this natural word we use in therapy a lot and in the NICU. But what it means to me as far as life, and then I'll bring it to writing is looking at What do I value most instead of where am I spending all the time or where should I be? I just, what do I care about? Mm -hmm. And writing those things down, what do I want to spend more time doing or involve myself more in? And I just kind of keep a list. I feel like it's down the center of me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that these are the things when my life is in alignment these are the things I value. And this is also then therefore where I'm spending my time. And then when I picture it kind of, I picture like a line from my head through my body to the ground and just think that's what my body looks like when I'm in alignment and my life can feel that way too. Mm -hmm. And the difference from balance is I just look at something like an opportunity comes my way or something. Is it, I've already written down what I care about, what I value. Is this opportunity in alignment with those things. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, I I have learned to say no. And it's Mm -hmm. hard sometimes, but I say no a lot. And then what you're left with is this really, this momentum and this good feeling that I'm doing, I'm where I'm supposed to be. So it it doesn't have to work out in the number of hours is my point. (laughs) So it just, you end up building something that feels in alignment to you. And then it's also easier to recognize when something is outside of that alignment, which I think is really natural, just like the baby wiggling around is natural. You're going to do something you didn't plan on doing. You're going to say yes to something you didn't want to, all that. And you just go, oh, 
that wasn't in alignment. And now I'm just going to bring myself back to the middle. And so in writing, I think both in the practice of it, like we were talking about, that helped me decide when to, when to write and what I was doing and what I was saying no to and all those things. But then I think it also helped once I had that with help, that really solid outline of the book and the, the points I most cared about, what, you know, what hill was I going to die on for this? I want this and this has to be in there. And I knew what was then in alignment with those those messages and what was outside of those messages. And it became a little bit clearer to say, I love that topic, but man, it just, I can't make it fit the alignment of my kind of the through line through the book. Mm. Um, and it, it oh, just was helpful that. for me to see that, that through that lens. I love that. This is the antidote to rabbit trails. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, but I have this really great story that I want, you know, but if it's not in alignment with the core concept, then put it in your blog or your next book. But yeah, that is a great way of looking at it in terms of the content. I just love that. And that really helps to sustain the integrity of the book and to give the reader a better experience because you're not pulling the reader in all these different directions and they can follow where you're leading them. I believe a book that is in alignment the way you just described is the kind of book that people want to read cover to cover because they can feel the alignment. They can feel that you are leading them on a clear, clearly defined path and you're not just yanking them around and to these random places and we don't know where we're going or why. So I just think that's brilliant. I think that's a wonderful insight. And having coaching people, I mean, when the author is saying, this is really what I care about, this is what I I believe belongs in here. It's the reason I'm writing the book, the message I want to get across. Also, it helps be accountable, you know, the, to say, the out, if you have an editor or the book coach to say, this is what you you know, we said is really the point and in really being having a place that seems more objective to kind of play with that and say, does this not belong? You've kind of already pre-decided that a little bit. And I think helped me have better conversations about what didn't belong. If I wanted to arm wrestle for something, I really had to prove my point or not, you know? (laughs) That's so true too. Yeah. Show me where it's aligned, right? And, or I think sometimes it also might books ideas evolve also as you go through the process. And so that's another way that it can have an impact. So now I have to go to our final question because we are nearly at a full hour and I'm sure in order to stay aligned, we both have other things we have to do today. <laughs> Although I feel like I could talk to you all day, Sue. This has been so wonderful. So before we close, though, I would like to ask you my signature final question, which is, what have I not asked you that you would love to answer? That seemed so easy when I <laughs> didn't know what we were going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I think what would be interesting if, if I was listening is, is just the... Like, what is the extra why to writing the book? Hmm. I think that because I, for me anyway, the 
There were things I wanted to bring outside of the NICU that I felt were really powerful and share them with the rest of the world, which is why I wanted a book to do that sort of thing. I thought was the best way to do that. But I think the on a given day when writing was really, really, really hard, I'm not sure that would have been enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) The deeper thing for me was the babies don't have, of course, the ability to verbalize, to share their experience. It's often completely unknown to the rest of the world what these babies go through. And yet, what they're teaching me, what they're teaching us is so powerful. And I wanted them to have a voice. And I wanted also, though, to then therefore give people who felt like I did in the book, which was that numb, burned out, why am I doing what I'm doing? There must be something better, different, et cetera, to be able to give that same voice to them, to help them along a path that looked like going from just surviving to having a life that felt really vibrant to them. And just like the journey for the babies in the NICU, kind of that thread of just moving from survival to something that looked like thriving or that people could really do this, that these lessons were applicable to adult lives. That's really what got me up in the morning, more than whatever would come of it and all the things that came after. Or, And I think it's, it is interesting just to know what makes people really get up at 4 a.m. and, you know, right. <laughs> well, Sue, I want to thank you so much for your generosity in sharing these lessons with the rest of us so that we could learn from the babies in the NICU and you. And also thank you for being with us on the Author's Corner. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm really appreciated. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 